politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight for what matters. And what is that? Life, liberty, property, civilization. Here at CR Podcast, this is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here for another brand week as we uh, barrel towards the end of this year. is Monday, the 5th of December. And really, life, liberty, and property is what matters, not politics as an end to itself. Now, I'm actually happy that we're beginning the week where at least most are talking about the Twitter files and the government collaboration with the left, the government agencies actually working with tech, media, and all information dissemination to crush a political opposition and basically brainwash an entire country on issues, steal elections. That's good. But even when they focus on something good, as opposed to Kanye, they focus on it from the wrong perspective. It's not a forward-looking analysis as to what should we be doing. It's politics as an end to itself. Oh, you see the Democrats steal elections. That's true. We now know from the Twitter files, which we knew anyway, that it's not just that we have a biased media. It's that the government works directly with them to deplatform, censor, obfuscate the truths. Um, and, and that in itself is the biggest election fraud, even before you get to any concern of literally tampering with algorithms or tabulations or ballot boxes. And the reason why I haven't spent much time on this the last two years is not because I don't think it's happening. Is like I said, two reasons. Number one, we have the bigger fraud, the Republican fraud, that even if you elect Republicans, you get at least just as bad anyway. And number two is that stealing elections is the least of the problems, as bad as that is. They have unleashed a holocaust because of that government collaboration to censor the proper information people needed to get. They were able to unleash a virus, block the treatment for it, and unleash a bioweapon vaccine that killed countless millions of people throughout the world, injured tens of millions of people, and it's still going on. I mean, you have 50% of bodies being embalmed have these Frankenstein blood clots. You have the cancers, you have the autoimmune, you have the heart disease. You can't run away from this. And yet, Republicans still don't want to talk about it. We're going to have on, coming up in a couple of minutes... Senator Ron Johnson, literally the only Republican willing to broach this at a federal level, at least at the state level, the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, said that they're going to start holding pharma accountable for vaccine injury. So we'll see what his plan is on that. But I mean, those are the only two I could think of that have broached vaccine injury that died suddenly. I mean, that's 800 pound gorilla in the room. You you have a couple of House members, but I'm talking about statewide elected officials, bigger offices. And that's it. So even now, as everyone complains, it's more like, oh, I don't want to be censored. I want my Twitter account. But that's not an ends. That's a means. What are you going to do with it? Because my point is, we know the government literally rigs the news, rigs the elections, but they rig the issues. I don't care if you rig an election to have some pay for play, but we get to live our lives. But they're poisoning us. They're killing us. They're destroying us. What are we going to do about that? And that's why I keep focusing on 
I don't want to hear about, oh my gosh, if you know the government's colluding with big tech to block our ability to win elections, we can't win elections. That's a problem. But you do control 50% of the states and you will control the House at a federal level. So I want to know what, the, what are the things you're going to do in the United States House and more importantly with the trifecta control of the states. And I keep putting out lists of things that need to be done. But you look at my other colleagues and there's this disconnect. It's like, yeah, we're living the Fourth Reich. Yeah, the government works together to crush the opposition. Everything's fake. Everything's rigged. Okay, so therefore what? You know, like if you write a computer code. This, so this. (laughs) Therefore what? What are you going to do about it? And then the response doesn't match the magnitude and the severity of what they themselves are agreeing is going on. Oh, so therefore, in the states, you're going to push everything, including national divorce. You're not going to be like, well, Daniel, I don't know if we can do this. I don't know if we have the power. Is it constitutional for a state to tell the feds to go to hell? Well, is it constitutional for the feds to literally work with every tech company to suspend the First Amendment? No. So you have to respond in kind. It's the same thing with the House. Oh, there's nothing we can do. What do you mean? You control the House. You're going to have a knockdown, drag out, government shutdown fight over funding the agencies that engage in the censorship, over funding the agencies that arrest political opponents, over the funding of agencies that have promoted and mandated these death shots. But again, there's this disconnect. Even when they're focusing on good things, it's only for political reasons. I hate politics. I only got into politics as a means to achieve a certain end. The minute I feel I can't achieve that, there's no purpose to what I do. But for these people, politics is an end to itself. An amazing example of this is uh, over the weekend, Joni Ernst uh, was really irate that the Democrats have pulled out of Iowa making it the first-in-the-nation status. Instead, they're rearranging the schedule with South Carolina and Georgia. And, you know, she said the Democrats just gave the American people the middle finger by changing Iowa. And I'm thinking, like, that's your hill to die on? That they didn't hold the first caucus or primary in your state? Like, that's the big deal? You just gave the American people the middle finger by redefining marriage and mandating on Iowa that they accept whatever bestiality California marriages they have that come to the state. You just codified bake the cake into law. You gave us the middle finger. But she's concerned? And, and why would you even care? If I'm, a, if I'm a conservative living in Iowa, I'm glad to get rid of its first-in-the-nation status for Democrats. It's still first-in-the-nation for Republicans. You know That way you don't have an inordinate, disproportionate amount of left-wing attention and hippies descending on your state. I think that's actually a good sign. It, it, it shows that Iowa has trended so red that they don't want it as their first state, which makes sense. You want a state that's, you know, more reflective of, of your values. You know, I'll, I've, I've always said before, I think we should have Texas 
Oklahoma, Idaho, you know, states like that as their first states. But Iowa is becoming redder. But she's upset about that. She's upset that the Democrats took away their primary as a first in the nation status from Iowa. And boy, was she pissed off about it. It's amazing what makes these people tick. It's all politics. So even when they focus on, oh, you know, government's working, worked with Twitter to censor us and to collaborate and, you know, literally worked with uh, Katie Hobbs in Arizona in 2020 to uh, zap stories that they didn't like. So Democrat candidates, uh, you know, calling an airstrike um, and they work with the government and they work with big tech and boom, get zapped. I understand that. But two things. That's what they did with COVID that you guys bought into. See, this is the irony. Republicans are like, it's terrible. They're rigging everything. They're censoring everything. Yeah, it's only for your own political ambition that you care. When it comes to the censorship, obfuscation, and misinformation collaboration on the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter, Republicans downright eat it up. And the perfect example is Ukraine. Think about it. You know, just came out over the weekend. Zelensky wants to ban the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Literally like a fascist. And that is the guy for whom almost every Republican, and certainly every Republican that matter, but even Freedom, Freedom Caucus guys, Jim Jordan, he is the biggest freedom fighter around. You cannot imagine how consequential to our lives that Ukraine policy was in February. Almost as much as COVID. Think about it. All of the supply chain shortages or the exacerbation of it, the inflation from the sanctions on the stupid sanctions on Russia we put on, the money laundering that we cannot even imagine going on there. They gave $70 billion to these freaks. $70 billion. Yet, it turns out they're withholding, FEMA's withholding $25 million for supplies for homes destroyed by Hurricane Ian in Florida. Uh, Ron DeSantis announced that earlier today. But $70 billion, if you do the math, that's pretty much, in less than a year, the entire amount of money we gave to Israel during its lifetime. You know, Israel by far gets the most foreign aid, defense aid in particular, and agree or disagree with whatever, but my point is, everyone knows that for years they got the most. Within less than a year, Ukraine got as much as all of that put together. And at least with Israel, like you, you know, you see something for it—the Iron Dome program, all the things that you know Israel helped um, develop—that was mutually beneficial to our military. No one can point. What the heck did we get from this? Tangibly, what's even going on on the ground? And to this day, the GOP leadership is in bed with that, including Kevin McCarthy, who wore a Ukrainian flag at the State of the Union address, for whom conservative media is now pimping. And the other guys are just silent. And you know who I mean. Certain people are silent. They've spoken out against him before, but now when it matters most, they're silent. Because people have certain relationships. But one thing you can count on me, I'm never going to allow personal relationships to get away from me calling the balls and the strikes. There's too much at stake to let your personal relationship. Oh, this talk show host has this personal relationship. Oh, I, I guess we got to bite the bullet. I guess we got to continue with this bad policy. But anyway, folks, I want to get to the meat and potatoes 
of what Senator Johnson is going to do with the COVID fight. Um, first, our interview today is sponsored by Patriot Mobile. Um, not only are they America's only Christian conservative company that offers you an opportunity to evacuate uh, from the three major carriers who, speaking of colluding with government, literally collude with them to spy on you um, and support the cartel. And not only that, but they also you know, have a great offer coming up ahead of Christmas. Uh, you, know, you know, when they offer some of these companies free iPhones, they're too good to be true, just like freedom itself. Nothing is free. Mobile phone companies not only lock you into long-term contracts, that's the key, they also hide the price of the phone into your bill with hidden fees. With Patriot Mobile, they can show you how to get the same iPhone interest-free without the games and no contract. No contract. So not only are you going to support those who support your rights and actually fight and fund battles uh, to preserve our God-given rights and freedoms in the courts, but Patriot Mobile also offers a performance guarantee. So if you're not happy with your coverage, you can switch to either of the three major carriers and continue funding the um, cartel for free. So go now to patriotmobile.com slash CR or call their 100% US-based English-speaking customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation today with offer code CR. Again, if you're fed up with woke companies collaborating with government to support the Fourth Reich, support a company that supports your values, patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972 Patriot. So folks, when you're elected to the Senate or Congress or even an outsider commentating writing, everyone has their niche issues. And sometimes we all like to nerd out on an issue that we think is very important or we're very passionate about, but it broadly doesn't affect uh, a wide array of people. It could be a specific infrastructure issue, it could be a specific government program. But then you reach, you know, the issue of the time, kind of like Pearl Harbor. World War II, okay, the issue. And then imagine living through the issue that is all-encompassing. It affected your life like nothing ever. And then now headed forward, it seems to affect your literal life more than anything you could have imagined in a science fiction movie. And yet, to this day, nearly three years into this, we still don't hear too many people on the playing field, even talking about this. The best you could hear is kind of like a two to two and a half year delay. Like now, some Republicans will talk about, yeah, maybe get rid of the military mandates. The mandates are a problem. Yeah, it was kind of dumb to sh- shut down schools. That That's pretty much where the GOP is. Um, as, as you well know, we did not hear it much on the campaign trail or in any of the documents the platforms put out. It's almost as if the last three years never occurred. But there's been one exception to that. Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin has been focusing on every aspect of this uh, since early 2020 and you know has been ahead of the curve rather than behind the curve. I joked around that the only purpose of Republicans winning the Senate, given the nature of the leadership there and the orientation of the members, is is for him to get a committee chairmanship. And unfortunately, uh, he won re-election, but there is no committee chairmanship. So where does that leave us in terms of leaders on the ground fighting for medical freedom? Um, where where does the fight for vaccine safety go? Where does the fight for the health of, of the Americans and their ability to seek proper care in hospitals. These are issues for which we cannot run away from. And thankfully, uh, the senator decided to run again and was reelected, and he's with us here today. Senator, thanks so much for joining us today at Blaze Media. 
Well, Daniel, happy to be joining you. Look, I mean, that was a pretty surprising result. Um, obviously, I thought you'd win by a big margin, but everything was, you know, kind of slid back like five points. And uh, Democrats are going to keep the Senate. How does this uh, affect your ability to to fight for us on these issues, being kind of that lone ranger? Can you talk about some ways that despite not having the majority, you feel you could still make an impact and draw attention to these critical issues? Sure, but let me quick back up first. I, you know, I first ran in 2010 uh, because Obamacare. I knew it would not protect patients. I knew it would make health care more affordable. And the fact that we were, at that point, $14 trillion in debt. Uh, so now I've, I've been serving here for 12 years, and what I witness, by and large, is a you know, how many thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands of people here in Washington, D.C. just whistle past the graveyard on all these issues. Now we're $31.2 trillion in debt. Uh, we, we, haven't, uh, we haven't fixed Obamacare. Uh, the only reason people aren't screaming about it is most people on the uh, Obamacare plans are probably getting it paid for by government. So they're not, they're not experiencing the, the premiums that double, tripled, in some cases quadrupled. So, again, it's, it's, it's just... It's just amazing to me as a business guy, you know, somebody in manufacturing who, who dealt with problems all the time uh, and realizing the first step in solving any problem is admitting you have one, how very few people are willing to acknowledge these massive challenges that we face. And so I, I, I was going to walk away. I, I, I was tired of it. It's, I mean, the, the level of dysfunction is profound. I, I can't tell you the, the level of frustration, but... Uh, because the pandemic, uh, because none of our response to it made any sense to me at all from basically day one. Now, I, I wrote a column in the USA Today on, on March 30th of 2020 arguing against shutdowns. I, I knew we couldn't do it. I knew how devastating it would be. Of course, I was pilloried. I was vilified for suggesting that we shouldn't shut the economy down. But I was right. Uh, I'm the guy who brought in Pierre Corey in May of 2020 in Homeland Security. You know, why wasn't the, the Health and Education, Labor and Pensions Committee, the Health Committee, having these hearings? I brought in Pierre Corey because he was talking about a treatment using corticosteroids. Uh, that became somewhat of a standard of care. Uh, that was in May of 2020. Then, of course, I held my hearings on early treatment with the McCulloch and Rich and Fareed and Pierre Corey on you know, first hydroxychloroquine, then ivermectin. I've, I've always been agnostic, just treat this disease with something. Um, so I got involved pretty early just in our, you know, hor our horribly, miserably failed response to, to COVID uh, very early on. And, and the, because, of my, uh, because of my work, because of my being willing to speak out, I also got exposed to the vaccine injury very early on. Uh, I was monitoring Bayer's. Uh, I was talking to Francis Collins uh, probably as early as, uh, April of 2020 and asking, are, are you not seeing what I'm seeing in the Bayer's report? I mean, this, at uh, this point, there were a couple thousand deaths on Bayer's. His reaction to me in person was, eh, Sander, people die. Hmm. Um, but again, because, because I got in contact with, with the vaccine injured community, um, and I realized no, nobody else was looking at this. Nobody was advocating for these people that are suffering who have lost loved ones. And, and it's obvious why. It's obvious to me. It's obvious to them. But once again, 
people here in Washington, D.C., in the federal agencies, in Congress, in the bureaucracy, they just completely ignore it. They're whistling by the graveyard largely because of the human tendency to never admit you're wrong. They're, you know, they are just denying reality. Um, that's what's happening here. So, quite honestly, Daniel, this is the only reason I decided to subject myself to well over $100 million of, of lies, of false advertising, attacks, uh, so I could survive this and, and be an advocate. So, yep. now to answer your question. Um, and I, I had a and then, and then after all of that, you don't get the majority. <laughs> right, which, which is very disappointing. So I don't have the subpoena power. But, you know, I certainly found in the last Congress uh, when I was chairman of Homeland Security and subpoenaed the FBI, the subpoenas don't do much. The agencies still give you the middle finger. Uh, you know, so we're actually better off with FOIA requests uh, from the private sector, from, you know, uh, different groups that the FOIA documents. And then because we're not subject to redactions, we can get those same documents and then we can start pressuring the agencies to provide us those same documents unredacted. For example, we did that with the, the Anthony Fauci emails, the, the 4,000 pages there, we, we identified 400 pages and through a lot of pressure, uh, we've been able to look at 350 of those pages unredacted. It, it is kind of amazing. They, they will not give us the final 50 pages, but, to answer your question, what can I do? Well, that's one of the things you can do. You can use outside groups. They can FOIA documents. And one, one of the points I made to the vaccine injured is, you know, had I been chairman of the, the permanent subcommittee on investigations, there are a host of investigations that, uh, yeah, I would have been expected to continue. Uh, but now Jim Jordan, James Comer, and the House will probably uh, pick up the ball on those, which pretty well frees me to focus almost, you know, I won't say exclusively. We'll do everything we can to help and aid in those investigations. We'll continue to, you know, seek out whistleblowers and, and try and uncover the truth in terms of corruption of our uh, federal law enforcement agencies, uh, you know, the Hunter Biden corruption, all those types of things. But now I can really focus on what went wrong in terms of our response to COVID. And, you know, evidence of that is the event I'm holding uh, uh, on Wednesday, but we're going to have an all-day closed-door meeting with uh, – uh, not only the, the, the COVID docs that a lot of people seen, but the, uh, I, th I think you're going to see some new folks, new faces here that are coming forward that uh, also just can't sit idly by and remain silent uh, with, with what's happened uh, in terms of the vaccine, the vaccine injury, and, and our, again, our miserably failed response to, to the pandemic. So this is important. I think you're living out what I always say is that when you're an elected official, you're not just a vote, but more importantly, a voice. And that's what you're using at this Wednesday event. So where could people find out more about it and, and stream this like they did your other two events? Yeah, I'm not sure we have the specifics for that yet. Mm -hmm. uh, we're still talking to you know, different uh, groups. I, I think Dale Bigtree, I think he'll be here. He'll definitely, you know, in, through his uh, platform, he'll be streaming it. This may be streamed in multiple uh, yeah. formats. We'll definitely get that out once we have it all nailed down. But people do need to understand that this is this isn't uh, this is a work in progress. I mean, I, I plan to you know some of the doctors are coming in here today. I'll be holding some pretty detailed discussions today here Monday. Um, Tuesday it'll be an all day closed door session, and some of these doctors I've never met. I've, I've never talked to some of them in person. So uh, I'm, I'm going to tell them I'll stick around till two three o'clock in the morning to 
figure out what it is we need to present to the public. And I'll give you a little hint in terms of certainly my initial concept going in here. Uh, when we did our second opinion event last January, again, a lot of discussions, Zoom calls. Again, it's how, do you, how do you organize these efforts? So, you know, I end up saying, okay, we're going to organize these around Dr. McCulloch's four pillars of the pandemic. You know, prevent the spread or limit the spread, early at-home treatment, hospital treatment, and vaccines. I was amazed at how we barely scratched the surface in five hours, and we never really got to the vaccine portion, that fourth yes. pillar. So this event, I want to be about that fourth pillar. And, and, and that's my bigger concern. Is- I'm glad it is because, I mean, look, there's never enough we could say about lockdowns. We need many more protections in place. I, I personally think H.R. 1 in the House should be to permanently make it that a president cannot declare public health emergency for more than, say, seven days, five days, whatever. This is not the 1800s. Congress could easily convene, and they have to affirm that declaration. Um, But, you know, it's been repudiated. I think the public gets it. But what shocks me about the vaccine, and I'm glad you brought up the analogy with the $32 trillion in debt, when you don't respond immediately like a competent businessman does with a problem, so when you blow through that typical safety signal, you're off to the races. And, And what I feel now is... Typically, you pull something when there's a few dozen deaths. Now we have, I mean, I don't even want to say. It's probably several hundred thousand in the United States, several million globally. We'll, we'll kind of, we have to tabulate that. 14,000 categories of injuries, maladies in VAERS, V-safe, CDC's own stuff, you know, 8%, you know, 8% um, clinical injury level, clinical, uh, rate of clinical injury. We have something like, you know, 2,500 case studies, roughly 1,400 peer-reviewed studies on every malady, even the crazier things that we thought, oh, that can't be true. The cancers, the Frankenstein blood clots, that's become universal now. Um, but yet, Senator, what is it that I feel like we have not advanced policy-wise one iota since like 12, 15 months ago? It's like nothing matters. It's because, it's because we're all deluding ourselves. Let me use an analogy. If, if, if you've got, let's say you got a, you know, an ugly-looking mole on your arm, okay? And you think, oh, man, this, this thing could be a melanoma. And you go into your doctor and goes, oh, nothing wrong with that. You know, even though in your heart you go, I think there's something more than this, just to have a, you know, one doctor say, ah, it's perfectly fine. You walk out of that office and you, with a big sigh of relief, and you don't get a second opinion because you really don't want to know. And I think that's a, a pretty apt analogy with, you know, a very large percentage of the American population has been vaccinated. They don't want to know but they may have made a decision, you know, w- without informed consent. They actually believed Anthony Fauci. They actually believed our federal health officials. Uh, they believed their doctor. The doctors believed them all. They believed their, you know, all the protocols. And nobody wants to admit that maybe that wasn't a very good idea. You know, may- maybe we should have been a lot more cautious. Maybe we should have only offered the vaccine. To the, the truly vulnerable and, and, and let the science play out and make sure we, we had placebos rather than cancel the trial by injecting all placebos so we really don't have, you know, that data. Uh, so, you know, p- people just don't want to know. And, and I, I completely understand that, that uh, psychology. So what I'm telling the, the people that are coming to this event, we, we've got to, 
I've got to dial them all back. You know, because we, you can't explain things. None of this makes sense. There are all kinds of people with all kinds of different explanations of what's gone wrong. I, I'm not. I don't. I'm not into theories at this point in time. I've got my own. Okay, but I want to dial everybody back. And what I want to present on Wednesday is just a building block knowledge. And so the working title for this event was COVID-19 vaccines. What they are, how they work, mm. and how they possibly could cause injury. And I don't want any theory. All I want is solid science knowledge that is completely backed up, irrefutable. Uh, because I think what is irrefutable is shocking enough, and the public needs to know it. They yes. need to open up their eyes. And federal health officials have to be honest. And members of Congress and their staff have to have their eyes opened so we can prevent further harm. That's the whole point. We have to prevent further harm. They are, you know, There are people, vaccine mandates, take this mRNA uh, platform and make it almost universal, put it, and we've got to dial this thing back. We've got to exercise far greater caution. But by the way, mRNA may be the most fabulous platform for different diseases, things like cancer, you know, where you're going to die anyway. Why not take an experiment? But is this really the proper platform for a mass vaccination program? You know, particularly when we didn't know it, but the Pfizer knew it. That it biodistributes and, and some of the concentrations of the ovaries, and it's encapsulated in, in something that is designed to permeate, difficult to permeate barriers. Yep. And I'm just scratching the surface of, of what the public is not really aware of, but that they that they need to know, and that's that's what I'm trying to suss out and trying to present uh, uh, on Wednesday. And that's the thing. It's not just retrospectively. Like you said, it would be bad enough if we went through this calamity and it was over. I mean, A, they're still continuing a lot of these versions. But B, I mean, this could be as early as next year's flu season. Uh, Moderna has that triple combo RSV, uh, Corona, and flu shot. And there's several other versions between Pfizer and Moderna, their phase three clinical trial. I don't think it's a coincidence that they're talking about a triple demic now to prep that battlefield. So this is something I think, you know, we've been playing catch up and that's been the problem the whole time. You know, after the fact, we need to get ahead of the curve. And that's why I think your event is so important. One of the things you did lose, obviously, is a legislative prerogative. I mean, you could still try to force votes here and there, um, but the Republicans do control the floor in the House and they will control it. What are some of the most important pieces of legislation, aside from ending mandates, which is obvious, that you think the Republican House needs to push, and maybe you'll be involved in that? Well, again, I, I haven't focused on legislation because none of it's going to pass. I mean, that's just that's just the problem. Sure. And you know, quite honestly, Daniel, you know, you know what a lone voice I've been on this. I, I don't really expect the House to be leaders passing legislation to highlight. Of possibly vaccine injuries. Uh, you know, Democrats, because they like to spend money on just about everything other than defense and national security, you, you, you might get a movement here in Congress if vaccine injuries are acknowledged to actually help people out, yes. to, to make uh, federal funds available for treatment, okay? Uh, that, that, that is certainly something we should do, okay? Because this is the federal government that forced, this is the fault of the federal government. Their, their policies, their, their misinformation, their, their lack of transparency. Uh, so that, you know, just might be able to get Democrats to uh, spend money 
Uh, now, what we ought to be doing is we ought to uh, repurpose, rescind other spending and, you know, put it toward toward this uh, effort to, to help the vaccine injured because they've been wronged. Uh, but, you know, right, right now, this is this is more an information battle. Yes. This, this is about getting the truth out to the American public because it's been suppressed. It's been censored. It's uh, uh, this, is, this is long overdue. Um, but it, it's going to be it's going to be hard because people don't really want to know. And and that's the thing. This thing is so systemically messed up. Our our healthcare system is such a dumpster fire. And I really think COVID is the bastard child of Obamacare. Uh, you talked a lot about the cost and the cost of health insur- insurance, and that was bad enough. But I think really the big thing was the consolidation of these quasi government influence controlled monopolies the this healthcare cartel that boxed out individual initiative individual dissent and thought and that's what we we certainly saw throughout the the regime with uh, the war on treatment and obviously the monolithic thought on the vaccines i look at um you know th- there was an analysis new england journal of medicine published 73 studies uh about new drugs in 2012 and it was found that 82% of them had been funded by the pharmaceutical company selling that product. And this circuitous relationship between the the FDA, the journals, um, the members of Congress, and and the pharmaceutical companies. And I feel like, you know, taking that back is like taking back, uh, you know, Gaza block by block. To me, and I want to know if you agree with this, that, that the force multiplier here almost seems to be, if I had like one bill, it would be the liability issue. The, the the notion that they earn more profit than ExxonMobil, Pfizer that is, and yet they don't have the same liability that let's say Toyota does for their airbags. Um, they have no liability for what they're doing. Do you think there is any way to get traction with that in the house? Um, that's a possibility, but you have to understand the power of big pharma here in Congress. You know, I, I, I passed rights try. It took me a couple of years. Uh, it took me holding up the FDA user bill uh, to get people to sit down. And pharma basically said, okay, we're not going to support this, but we're not going to sabotage in the house. And then they went ahead and sabotaged in the house. Okay. So they've got an awful lot of power. Um, I would say two things are important. Uh, basic piece of legislation. We need to end pharmaceutical advertising. Mm. And we have to end that liability protection or modify it dramatically. Um, This started way before Obamacare. Obamacare certainly hastened the consolidation of all this power. But uh, when when we went from, and these are our statistics, and I don't know the exact time period, but, you know, 80% of doctors being independent to 80% of doctors being employed by a health, you know, some kind of hospital or some kind of uh, hospital or, or healthcare association, uh, that, you know, their, their, their money and buying, I, by the way, I'm a capitalist. I have no problem with people making money, but it all starts being driven from the top. And all of a sudden these federal health agencies, rather than the FDA and CDC staying within their lanes, you know, drug safety and providing, inf- gathering, providing information. Now all of a sudden they're dictating you know, how doctors practice medicine. Yes. And the way you absolve yourself of, of, of uh, liability exposure is just follow CDC guidelines. So in COVID, it's just like, well, inject with remdesivir, which the WHO recommends against, you know, which, you know, in a, in a, 
trial in Africa on Ebola, they stopped using remdesivir because it appeared to be more deadly than uh, you know just Ebola itself. Uh, but that's the standard of care. So we inject that and put people on vents. And we sabotaged the use of the generic drugs. And there's there's a host of them. It's not just hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, spudesonide. It's uh, you know other other types of uh, drugs that are not only off label but on label. And doctors and hospitals weren't even allowed to use those. It's yes. Remdesivir, throw them on a vent, watch them die, and collect you a couple hundred thousand bucks. I mean, I hate to say that, but I, I, you know, I'm aware that that's what happened in far too many instances. And that's just the truth. And those are truths that we need to expose and find out how this all got corrupted. But it really is the lack of independent doctors, part of associations, the pharmaceutical industry with all their ad revenue controlling the narratives. Now, you've probably seen the videos of, of all the brought to you by Pfizer, you know, just about every news program, so many. So they control it. So they control big tech social media giants. They control the, the narrative on, on uh, the mainstream news. That's a corrupting process right there. So big, big pharma, again, my eyes are opened up. I call it the drug cartel, the Biden administration, the federal health agencies, big pharma, the mainstream news media, which is also captured to a certain extent by big pharma ad dollars and the big tech social media giants. There you go. That's the, that is the COVID cartel. They're the ones that sabotage early treatments. They're the ones that push the vaccine. They're still pushing it. They can't afford to be proven wrong because the body count is way too high and they have the power. And here's the real problem, Daniel. They have the power to make it almost impossible to prove them wrong. And that's what, we, that's what I've been up against for the last two years. That's what all of us have been up against. And that's what we see with the Twitter files now. It was literally impossible to get anything out um, because they just stomped on that hole before anything could emerge. So, you know, people only saw one set of news. I mean, you, you poll people, um, what does VAERS mean to them? They'll be like, what's VAERS? I mean, still, it's, you know, we're obsessed with this stuff, but I think, like you said, to speak to your event, we're already into, you know, Peter McCullough's two-minute rant from last week on all the studies that show potential for shedding and all these different things, but most people don't even know the basics, the basics of how it works, the basics of the spike protein and what it does to you what the platform does, and then just the irrefutable data we have that the government itself has kept and, and obfuscated for a very long time. Um, so this is certainly very important. We'll be watching out for it. Before I let you go, I just want to get an update on the military uh, issue. I, I never understood why last year we didn't make this fight in the NDAA. I mean, it, it was just so indefensible, um, you know, because even those that don't know about the vaccine injuries certainly know that it doesn't you know, work at a minimum to stop the spread. So how do you mandate in the military? Uh, you held a press conference with Senator Paul, a couple others last week, uh, saying, look, we shouldn't pass an NDAA, uh, you know, because what's the point in funding the, the military if we're going to destroy the military? Where, where is that fight now? Do you think that, that there might be enough support from leadership to stand behind that? Well, we were obviously disappointed that the Senate leadership didn't sign the letter that we were circulating. Jeez. And Senator Paul pointed that out in our press conference. But I was heartened. I was I was on Maria's show, and before me, uh, Alina McCarthy uh, was on the show, and he said that uh, he's going to make sure that uh, any national defense authorization that comes out of the House will include the uh, repeal of the, the vaccine mandate. So uh, hopefully, you know, may, maybe maybe our press conference uh, got his attention, and hopefully the House will insist on that. So 
uh, th- that's what's so important about this is, you know, th- these are public relations uh, battles here. You- you've got to win over the public. And, you know, our-, our problem is all you need is, you know, a- a- Anthony Fauci go on and say, oh, spike protein's not a problem. Oh, good. <laughs> Again, just kind of going back to that, uh, that mole analogy. It's like people breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, they control the narrative. Um, so it's just going to take more people like you, and I certainly appreciate uh, your efforts here in the media. Uh, we, we still do, fortunately, have freedom of the press. We have these alternate websites, and I'm just hoping more and more Americans are awakening to the fact that they've been lied to repeatedly, um, and they start seeking out the truth in other sites. But, but also the problem is, is that, that there's, there's falsehoods on both sides. It, it's very difficult to understand what is truth nowadays. It's, it's getting more and more difficult. Um, and that's just a problem we all have to grapple with. Do you think at the end of the day, this lack of PR planning, because I think this is really the point of voice, is even more important than a vote, because that's really what drives everything. It's an information war. Is that ultimately the culprit for the GOP's pretty unbelievable, um, underwhelming results given a midterm with an unpopular president and a terrible economy um, and and possibly why we saw this dichotomy between Florida where you had a red wave and then everywhere else where it was either neutral or sometimes many states a blue wave um, because he was the only one who ran on these issues. Right. Well, I think Florida did experience an influx of uh, freedom-loving people which probably <laughs> helped their, their wave. I can tell you, you know, from my experience, Daniel, uh, what, what I was up against, first of all, is, uh, is a opponent and an opposition party that have no problem lying, none whatsoever. But that, that, that is what their campaign was, a bunch of lies, a bunch of distortions. They have a news media that amplifies their lies. I mean, let's face it, journalism schools, they're not cranking out journalists anymore. They're, they're cranking out advocates for the radical left. Brought to you by Pfizer. System. <laughs> was t- yeah, precisely. And, and we've got an education system that was taken over by the radical left in the 60s. And uh, they're, they're also you know, graduating teachers who are indoctrinating our children. And so we, you know, as a conservative, uh, it's not a level playing field. It's not a fair fight. No. And then throw on top of that, you know, I'm, I'm serving in a Senate where we have a, a small group, a gang, that joins with 50 Democrats, you know, passing things that certainly people who vote for me are opposed to, and hate, and they're not particularly appreciative of the fact that uh, you end up with Republicans facilitating uh, more deficit spending here as well. So we didn't really have an overall message of of a positive agenda of showing people we're willing to resist this lurch to the left. We, we, you know, some of us, some some within our group participated in it, and so that disappeared our base. So you know, every election there are multiple factors. Yep. Um, but you add them all up together, and yeah, we didn't have a red wave, and that was pretty disappointing. We better get our act together, which is you know one of the reasons uh, you know a group of us did ask to delay leadership elections so we could at least discuss a different governing model, discuss uh, you know what our goals ought to be, you know what what we sh- should be uh, fighting for in the next Congress, and we're going to continue that uh, that effort. You saw it the last week in our. Press conference. A small group of conservatives said this is something we ought to fight for over National Defense Authorization Act. It's, it's something we all want to see passed, but not if we maintain the uh, vaccine mandates. There's some, you know, those are things we have to fight for, but we want to pick our battles smartly so we can actually win. 
Exactly. Not just a vote, but a voice. I mean, it, it doesn't all hinge on elections, and that's why I encourage the audience all the time. Uh, Republicans are obsessed with elections, elections. They, you know, But then they go to sleep every day between those two years. And, you know, when the ball is in play is when it matters. The information warfare, and that's what we need to fight for. We really appreciate your efforts um, coming back under unfavorable circumstances for another six years in the grinder. But um, there's a purpose, and I think God put you there for a purpose. Uh, we'll watch out for more information Wednesday to plug that event and definitely keep us updated, and good luck on your work. Well, thanks for everything you do. Thanks Take for having care. me on. God bless. So that was the one and only Senator Johnson. Man, I'm just riveted by that because he is so authentic. You know, when you talk to even some good allies, sometimes it looks like they're hedging a little bit. He just speaks from the heart. I mean, he really wanted to retire, had no interest in doing this beyond two terms. Uh, runs, gets $100 million thrown at him, barely wins, and then they don't even get the majority in the end. But, you know, he's making the best of it, and he's absolutely right. I think this was a great point. I'm glad we had him on today. We're obviously going to... Uh, promote that Wednesday event. Uh, stay tuned for details. I'm sure Dell Bigtree will run it. Maybe Children's Health Defense Fund. We'll see who's able to cover it, but but you'll definitely be able to see it. But here's the thing. Couple couple things there. Number one, your voice does matter. Your voice matters and the voice of people elected to supposedly represent you. Um, No matter what, we're going to go up against that buzzsaw. Okay, if we had a new party, independent movement, you're going to have like he had, like they all have. Democrats now are in a situation where they have presidential level money for a Senate race, for a gubernatorial race, for a statewide race. It just it's obscene. They control the entire world and they have all that pharma money is going to them for good reason. But I cannot judge what the world and what the electoral world would look like if we actually had a party and a unified movement giving over the facts and details that we do. See, uh, Senator Johnson, he was right when he alluded to this. He's different than Ron DeSantis. He's just a senator. And he's a senator involved with this GOP Senate that nobody likes, Republicans or Democrats. They're a bunch of losers. So even though he personally has been on the right side of the issues, it's hard to establish your own brand, whereas as a governor, governoring, you you could. But again, he, DeSantis is the only one. Um, I want to get to that in a minute, but the other point I wanted to make from, from what he was saying here is that, look, look, when it comes to a voice... A lot of people think, well, Daniel, it's never going to work. We don't have the majority. It's never going to work. We don't have the vote. It's not going to work. But if you actually beat the drum on the vaccine injury, the corruption of pharma, boom, 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 all the facts that we come up with, maybe you won't succeed day one, but it, there's a certain critical mass where the pressure builds up, and it won't build up unless you start it. You know, the longer you wait to start that clock, the longer it's going to take to reach that critical mass. And I will tell you, as of now, maybe by the time you hear this, it's, it's not finalized, but I'm looking at the news, and there is a good chance Democrats might actually agree to terminate the military mandate. Now, obviously, we would all argue, whoa, 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 that's too little too late, Um it's not even going to have the back pay and the reinstatement of those already kicked out. I doubt it will have that provision. 
and this is no longer about not mandating it, but mandating an end to the shots that they can't be distributed, trials and executions, all that. But that just goes to show that you actually have an effort, and it wasn't even leadership. McConnell refused to join with it. And you know they're feeling the heat, and this is even after being emboldened from the elections. Imagine if from day one you had the entire party and an entire movement on message, unified, making the most accurate, passionate points, we would be by trials and executions right now. There's no doubt about it. And that's why I say, even if they rig elections, fighting on the issues that matter at the time they matter every day, if every other talk show host would be doing what I do, we'd have a different country. No doubt about it. But yet, even where Republicans control things, they can't even hold the ground that Danielle Smith does. The Alberta premier, she's isolated, the only conservative in, in uh, Canada. And even she's doing a better job standing up for provincial sovereignty. And a province has a lot less sovereignty than an American state. Where are all these Republicans? Well, I'll tell you where they are. Let's go to Virginia. The other guy they're talking about running for president is Glenn Youngkin. Oh, he's, he's a great guy. This is from WUSA 9 CBS. Virginia restaurant that defied COVID orders subject to search and seizure by ABC. (laughs) Talk about ABC agencies. It's Virginia's Alcohol uh, Beverage Control Authority. It's a Fredericksburg restaurant. Defied the COVID mandates during the height of the pandemic. A search warrant was issued for Gurmelt's sales records and any information related to possession of alcoholic beverages without a license, maintaining a common nuisance and the legal sale of alcoholic beverages. Gurmelt's owner, Matt Strickland, had his license to sell wine, beer, mixed beverages on and off premises suspended in September 2021, but ABC put a stay on enforcing the order to give Strickland time to appeal. In November 2022, a final ruling was issued. And ABC ordered Gourmelts to halt selling alcohol for 90 days. Gourmelts didn't comply. Now, you might say, well, Daniel, he didn't comply. But why should he be in this position to begin with when you have a Republican governor? They actually have the House, too, even though Virginia was purple. But they have two out of the three branches. But this is the critical branch, the executive branch. Why are they going after him? I'm not reading you an article from two years ago. This is from this week. They're going after a guy, punishing a guy for thumbing his nose at the lockdown. So this is not even the vaccine injury stuff. This is lockdowns, which we thought was consensus, but it's not. Same thing in Texas with Greg Abbott. Still focusing to this day, having his, you know, License commission there, whatever it is, Texas Medical Board, going after the licenses of physicians in Texas, like Dr. Henson, who didn't wear a mask. So this is my point. Again, I I, I don't know how to move off of this. Because every time we come to a logjam, well, we should be doing this. If we did this, it would be very successful. But they're not doing it. It's because the Republican Party is a controlled opposition. It's that simple. There is so much we could be doing. If you had every red state 
and the GOP House on message during a budget fight, I'm telling you we could crush them. And I'm not very optimistic about this country. So I don't want to hear this business, oh, we only have the House and it's narrow and you have to support Kevin McCarthy and if you don't, then the Democrats somehow control it. That's the false narrative he's putting out there. And oh, there's a limit to what he can do. To this day, he's not promising to fight on the um, on the budget bill. I have no further updates on the omnibus, but it's still very touch and go. And let me give you another example. Pfizer and BioNTech just submitted their application to the FDA for emergency use authorization for its mRNA shots for children under five for variants that are no longer dangerous, for a cohort of kids that were never affected. Young children, shots that have been proven to be deadly and negatively effective, erase their natural immunity, and they're going to submit it. Where is the effort from Republicans to say, look, we're going to hold up the omnibus bill, and we will not fund any FDA approval of COVID shots. No, they're not doing it. And you won't even, and on this account, you won't even have a standalone bill doing it. I promise you. You won't even have a standalone bill doing this. Is that pathetic? It doesn't have to be this way. Just know it doesn't have to be this way. Did you know um, hum- Humble Analysis on Twitter? It's a good twi- Twitter feed to follow. During this last six months, 98% of all reported COVID deaths have occurred in nations where more than one vaccine dose has been administered per person. So that level of saturation of vaccines, 98% of deaths. Essentially, no deaths are occurring in the less vaccinated nations. We all know why. We all know why. European excess deaths. If you look from June 26th to November 20th, 2022, there's higher excess deaths in 2022 than in either 2020 or 2021 with Omicron. How does that make sense? And higher non-COVID excess deaths than COVID deaths, obviously. These are the Euronomo weekly update. It's that website. So to be clear, these are not even all of those countries in Europe. I forget how many there. It's most of them. It's not all the European countries. Total excess deaths. Total excess deaths work out to be or non-COVID excess deaths, 85,328. You know what's interesting? If you extrapolate that number over that period, and you do the math, because that's a six-month period, if you extrapolate that for 23 months since the shots have been out, you know what you get? I mean, it's just an interesting thing I did. 392,000. And that's the exact number of excess vaccine deaths in the United States that we calibrated based on V-safe and VAERS, 392. Now, you might say, 
I, to be fair, I haven't done the math fully because Europe is bigger than the United States, is like 330 million. Maybe Europe is another 100 million, but it wasn't all of the European countries. It's the ones in Euronomo. So it's less than it. It's got to be pretty close. It might. It, it's probably maybe a little bit more than the U.S. population. So it's not like on the money exactly, but wow, that was pretty astounding. Think about that. Almost 400,000 deaths in the United States. And yet we can blow through it as if nothing happened. They can make it that you can only see what they want you to see. People see what they want to see. And you could live through the biggest issues. And if you don't have an intrepid movement banging away and making the noise, nothing happens. People don't get it. I, I just say this because I want you to know it doesn't have to be this way. Imagine if you had a party where the Republican House and Senate leaders and leadership unified, pounding that lectern every freaking day on this stuff, on Ukraine, on illegal immigration, on medical freedom, on greed. You know, a lot of these Republican candidates are hit with all these ads that they don't care about the poor. That would never get off the ground if you had a party built on our messaging. Think about this. Wall Street Journal is reporting that billions in COVID aid went to hospitals that didn't even need it. U.S. government gave hospitals tens of billions of dollars to help them cope with the strains of the pandemic. Many of the hospitals didn't need it. And they used it to kill people. And yet they still maintain a not-for-profit status. So they don't have to pay taxes. They play, play it both directions. This needs to be played around with. A couple of just loose, interesting things I wanted to um, talk about vis-a-vis um, -vis the vaccines. There's this video clip circulating around in Japan from this Dr. Masanori Fukushima. He's a uh, you know, very well-credentialed uh, scientist there at one of the top universities. So he, he at some sort of meeting, he ripped Japan's Ministry of Health and he basically explains something that I think sheds a lot of light on what we were thinking. I was right about everything for almost three years, except for one thing. One thing I was wrong about. It, it appeared at the beginning during that first kind of eight, ten months that it would saturate an area. And once it reached 20 to 25 percent of the population, it seemed to hit a brick wall and it would end. So we posited based on some research that seemed to be out there that there was partial cross immunity from other coronavirus colds or things like that. And that the pandemic would stop after that. And further embodied in the fact that in the Pacific rim countries that really seemed to not get, have a problem. Like they had some cases, but they had no critical illness at the beginning. So the thought was that they really had more coronaviruses circulating recently. And they, definitely had you know partial cross immunity across the board that probably protected almost everyone at least from serious illness and it appeared to be ironclad but then starting in 2021 it collapsed and then it wound up hitting even the pacific rim hard and as we well know in the rest of the world it went on and on and on and still to this day to a certain extent going on People get it multiple times now. And he noted, and he said exactly this point, that 
Japan experienced low rates of COVID early in the pandemic because they enjoyed existing antibodies from different related viruses. It's a rough English transcription of what he was saying. But he noted that the vaccines destroyed that existing immunity. And that's why they're, they're catching it. And I really do believe that. Now, you, you could say this in one of two ways. He seems to be saying more that the vaccines destroyed your immunity, your natural antibodies. Um, you could also say Gert Vandenbosch's uh, premonition that it created viral immune escape and made the virus so much stronger, higher replicating, quicker replicating, so that, you know, in other words, until now, low-dose exposure was enough. The presumption was, oh, we were all exposed to it. And then, like, a lot of us were like, oh, we were exposed to this. We never got it. And then eventually it all got us all. And, uh, you know, we'll never know for sure, but but it's very interesting. It's very likely that had we not had the shots, it would have ended in early 2021. Pretty much. You could not get a more Orwellian situation than this. But, folks, we'll have to leave it there today. We're going to have a lot more on vaccine injury on the fight against McCarthy for speaker and the stupid Teletubbies and pom-poms and conservative media supporting him, um, what we should be doing on the budget battles, the lame duck stuff, and obviously the state legislatures. I'm, I'm working again every day on kind of putting maybe a top 50 ideas, maybe like 20 on medical freedom and you know 30 on other issues that need to be done, um, working as many states as I can. We're going to put together our Constitution Action Network teams get as many states as we can we need team leaders willing to fight in the legislatures fight the issues put local media together this is an information warfare that's why they work so assiduously to block and censor information we, we live in a very nuanced tyranny public opinion does still count elections don't that's what's funny but public opinion does to it to an extent and that's all we can do is when our circles flood the zone, fight as hard as we can, and let God bless the fruits of those results. Send me your comments, questions, and concerns to Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.